about your psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Hi everyone, this is Neil Pruitt from Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. You may have heard this voice before, the New World Order. I was the producer and the voice for the New World Order. You're listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. This podcast has not been sanctioned by the New World Order. Hey everyone, this is Guy Evans, author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, and you are listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. I'm joined by Peter Rosenberg of Hot 97, GP1, Epstein, Michael K. Show, ESPN, ESPN Radio, WWE Network, Rosenberg Radio Podcast. Am I missing anything? <laughs> no, no. You, you're actually giving me extra stuff. I'm, we're not even doing one app right now, but still, I, I appreciate it. Uh, Rosenberg Radio on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, great friend of mine. Um, always give me a shout out. Always supports the program. I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on, man. You are right now. We're taping this on Saturday, October 24th. You are now in Orlando in the Thunderdome getting ready for hell uh, in a cell tomorrow night. So before we get into what I want to talk to you about, what's the preparation like uh, now doing these shows in the, uh, the Thunderdome? Well, listen, as of this exact moment, you know, you caught me it's we're recording this two thirty. I got UFC on the screen. Mm-hmm. I got a I got a cold I got a cold Miller Light in hand. I'm just That's enjoying right. Saturday. Um, but uh, yeah, I already I did cheap heat earlier today. I watched SmackDown last night, and you know um, there's not a ton of matches on this card. So mm-hmm. from a prep standpoint, you know, really I'm I'm, I'm kind of focused in on uh, Jey Uso and Roman Reigns. Um, and then obviously we have this long history with, you know, Sasha Banks and Bailey. Um, and, and actually really the entire card is based around matches that have long history, right? Where, right. And, and then Drew McIntyre and Wendy Orton. So in terms of like what there really is to do, um, obviously now there's a match added last night for Money in the Bank. Um, but the real meat and potatoes of this event are three stories that have been playing out for a very long time. So. Uh, I feel I feel very prepared. I have a lot of thoughts on those three stories. Mm. So for those who are going to watch it on uh, this show on, on YouTube, uh, the show that we're doing now, they can't see I have a throwback uh, 
World Wrestling Federation had for you. You know what? Before you came on, I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta put some shit on for Peter because he's the the king of the vintage shirts and hats and all that. So I found this. I got my little Sasha Banks. And there you go. Shirt on, so I had to come prepare for you, bro. <laughs> well, listen, don't worry about preparing, considering my background. There's a messy bed on one side and a and a stray banana <laughs> just sitting on the other. So uh, don't worry, Randy. I'm the one who looks nuts. You're good. <laughs> um. So for every person who comes on the on this show for the first time, the first question I always ask them is, um. What led to you becoming a fan of wrestling? When do you recall uh, you falling in love with the sport? Was it a match? Was it a superstar? Was it a pay-per-view? Like, what was it that, that drew Peter Rosenberg into, into becoming a big-time fan of wrestling? And when? Well, it's, that's funny. I actually had a conversation sort of about that earlier today um, on, on my podcast. We got a, a letter that was sort of similar. Um, I... I really think of my fanship starting in 87 build up to WrestleMania three. I don't have one specific, um, I don't have one specific match or specific moment. It's sort of a blend of moments. You know, it's like the, uh, it's the savage steamboat storyline, right? You know, really like the bell, the, the larynx, the the uh, the crushed larynx, and and the, <laughs> the animal steel relationship. Um, that story, along with Hogan Andre, those are really the things that I remember. I, I really felt deeply, like initially, and I, I realized it. Mu- I was super desperate to see WrestleMania three. So I guess that means I probably watched most of that year, at least for several months Mm. before that. Yeah. That that's what I associate with, with the real origins of my, my passion for it. I think for me, the first pay-per-view I recall seeing was SummerSlam 89. Um, So that's the tail end of the mega powers explode. Main event was what Zeus and Beefcake was in there with Macho and and, and Hogan. You had Warrior and Rude for the IC title. Uh, so from that point on is when I was like I had to watch it every every week or whenever it was. You know, main event on Saturdays, as 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 you as you know very well. And like the first match that got me like holy shit was a uh, Warrior and Hogan at WrestleMania six. I think a majority of people from my demographic age wise would w- w- would say the same thing. So Macho, I'm sorry, Warrior and Hogan was the match for me going forward that I, I became a fan. So we're in the same time frame as the the golden era. So you mentioned eighty six, eighty seven, that's Macho, Hogan, Andre, DiBiase, Warrior, Piper, those guys. Um what is it about the golden era? that you miss the most that you wish somehow could be just brought upon in today's style? Um, I would say the long-term storytelling, um, I really, really enjoy. Um, and that was such a, you know, you talk about the mega powers, you know, that storyline starts at WrestleMania four and culminates at WrestleMania five. 
You know, Hogan Andre, it starts in Piper's Pit, you know, whatever it was, January or early February, you know, before WrestleMania three. And Hogan and Andre's story doesn't officially close, really, until their double DQ at WrestleMania four. Right. So that's a year and change, um, a year and change of Andre and Hogan into a year and change of Hogan and 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 Savage. Right. Um, the the Savage Steamboat story played out over time. They just. It was a different product. I understand it. You know, you really can't expect it to be the exact same. It's just there are such different demands now in terms of what the um, in terms of what the model is. You know, business wise. But I that that's probably what I miss. You know, but listen, the fact of the matter is whether it's music, wrestling, TV, nothing's the same as when you're a kid. Nothing's the same. That's just you always loved it more. It always was, you know, the, the the golden era really is the golden era for you. Mm-hmm. You know, right? We are like, for example, you and I will be at some bar. God willing, we'll be back at bars, and we'll be at some bar in fifteen years mm-hmm. watching a wrestling pay per view, and. Some we're going to be sitting next to someone who we're we'll be in our I'll be damn I'll be fifty five years old, and I'll be sitting next to some kid who's thirty a guy who's thirty five years old, mm-hmm. and he's going to be talking about the golden era being John Cena and Randy Orton. True, very. You true. know that, and they're going to say that, and they're going to mean it. Like yo, this isn't like when I grew up in the golden era. You know when it was John Cena and CM Punk. And I'm going to be like golden era. What? That's and it's cool. all really based. It's based less on, less on the product and more our own golden era. Mm. So you mentioned Macho earlier, and I know just knowing you, when it comes to your favorite guys, it's between Macho, Flair, and Brett. I think that's the mix that I've gotten from you over the years. Of I don't know if I've ever heard you tell anybody this is my one A, my one B, my one C. But I think it comes down to Macho. Flair and Brett, but I never spoke about Macho on this show yet. So I'm gonna throw tidbits of Macho Man as we go along. So when did you first recognize Macho Man as a as a performer, and what gravitated you to liking Macho? Whether it's the promos, it's the uh, in ring stuff, the the character. What what grew you to being a fan of of, of Macho Man Randy Savage? Well, I mean, you know that that original that story was the first story I really was hooked on um and i didn't like him i was a kid so i liked steamboat and and hated savage but he was just awesome i mean he just grabbed you everything about him drew me to him um you know the the character the look the crazy hair um the athleticism, mm. the little details, you know, the way he jumped over the top rope to the floor and slapped the apron, um, the elbow, the robes, Elizabeth. It was all like, it was such a complete, it was really such a complete package. 
the Macho Man character. It was just so well put together. And I, I always say about the reason I think you can make the case for Savage being a goat is Savage can be a, he, he's incredible baby face, he's incredible heel. Right. He's incredible on the mic, he's incredible in the ring. He can he can work he can run he can have a great match with Andre the Giant. He could have a great match with Shawn Michaels. He he literally could do everything. Big guy, small guy, good guy, bad guy. It makes no difference. Like he's just that good. There's literally zero limitation to what Macho Man can do. So I, I think I think it's a reasonable. Now listen, he never, he only was the guy for a year or so. Um, but even when he wasn't the guy, and he was the second guy, you know, WWE at that point, their touring model was you had the the the, the A shows led by Hogan. And the B shows led by Savage, those B shows still did well. I mean, Savage was the man. He wasn't Hogan, mm -hmm. but he was the man. Well, you mentioned WrestleMania three. So again, people our age are gonna rank WrestleMania three higher than than what you know than what you see now. Um, and there's a there's, a, there's always a Mount Rushmore debate. With with everything everything in sports, but I'd never ask you the what's your Mount Rushmore of WrestleManias. I know you probably said three is your favorite, um, but if you had to say if I asked Peter what is your Mount Rushmore of WrestleMania cards top to bottom, what would that be? What would that look like? I would say. Um, three, 19. Okay. Um, I know a lot of people don't feel this way. Uh, four. Really? Um, a lot of people don't like the tournament. A lot of people don't like the tournament. I, I love the tournament. Mm. Um, the last spot is tough. Um, I love 18 too. Toronto. Um, yep, Toronto and then Seattle at 19. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Um, you know, I, I've grown to have a different appreciation for a lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say those four are the ones that jumped in my mind right now. But at any given time, I mean, there, there are specific moments in each one that I think make it, that I can, I can there's like, there's like 10, eight to 10, which you right away can just take out yeah. and be like, all right, none of these cards are just, none of these cards are good enough. But then after that, there's about 25 where I really think they're all good and then how do you narrow it to like the top 10 and, and so on so those four popped in my mind uh, three four uh 18 19 I'm, I'm a big fan i think a general consensus would say three 17 
Love 17 too. Um, 19. And if you want to pick one recently, or most could say 30 or 31. So if, you, if you're trying to pick one from I, I, every I, era, that might be, that might, how, how it, uh, it might be. Yeah, no, I think I think thirty and thirty-one. What's uh, what's thirty-one again? That's the one um, with uh, Seth cashing in against with, with, uh, with Brock and Roman Reigns in uh, California. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a damn good one too. Um, but that's what I love about it is that there are so many. You know, mm-hmm. you really do have so many options and eras to choose from, and uh, depending on you know, listen, I used to absolutely rail on nine and how much I hated nine. And now I've even come with an appreciation for nine. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot to nine is not one nine and 11 are the ones that I won't even, I'll just skip right through it. 11 is definitively worse than nine. though, (laughs) And, and I didn't used to think that. I thought I thought nine was the worst. It's not. No. Nine has nine has a couple of things that make it good. Um, whereas eleven, it's just there's very little, very little that's redeemable about eleven. And at least nine is unique. It was outside. It was the the debut of Jim Ross. Like there are things that make it interesting. At least, you know, Lawrence Taylor. That's tough. Oh yeah, him and Bam Bam. Uh, was it? As your main event, that's tough. <laughs> and look, you had Sean and Diesel for the title right right before it. Like, why not that be the main event? But I, I guess I understood in '95 what they were looking for with the big star NFL star being in the main event. Where I don't I don't recap. WrestleMania uh, 11 at all. Nine is better than 11, but 11 is, is, is by far the worst one of all time. Yeah, I, I, think that's a, I think that's very fair. So, real quick, back to WrestleMania 3. Uh, 20, no, 33 years ago. Is, is Macho Steamboat still the greatest intercontinental championship match of all time, or did something else surpass that? I mean, listen, I, I think the latter match is... A conversation, you know. I think Razor and Sean is um, certainly right there. Um, listen, the, the Intercontinental title lends itself to great wrestlers. So I feel like there's a lot of great matches for the IC title. There have been a lot of them, and if we were to really go through and look at a list, I, I'd, I'd have to like. You know, it, it would be challenging, but I just think that those two stand, in terms of notoriety, they stand head and shoulders above the rest. Are you are you a good guy macho or a bad guy macho fan? Is it even or is one more than the other? No, I prefer bad guy. Me too. <laughs> I prefer, yeah, I prefer bad guy because when you get into good guy macho, the problem is... When he starts talking, like the worst moment of Macho's career was commentary, right? Mm. It's the one thing he did not do well. I, I found his commentary to be grating, terrible, stupid, 
it's just awful. Like the character did not translate at all to commentary. And so I associate that more with good guy macho. Um, even Mega Powers Macho was good, but he didn't talk that much. Mm-hmm. You know, he started mostly just moving his hand and letting Hogan do the talking, and he was just sort of, you know, um, he was more like a, a look and a feeling. But when he started talking a lot as a good guy, that's not the savage you want. Right. Since WrestleMania 4 is your Mount Rushmore, I. I- I think possibly I would assume you know that Macho Man fought four times and I would assume who I would assume you know who those four guys he beat on the road to the title right I wouldn't remember them in order I I know the natural Butch Reed took a big L I know Ted DiBiase for the title facts Um, um, got two more Butch Reed was first, right? Yes, he was. Butch Reed was first. Um, what were the two between Butch Reed and DiBiase? I'm going to kick myself here. Hold on, hold on. Wow. You can you can edit if I take too long. <laughs> Did I stump um, Rosenberg on a throwback question? Wow. I'm easy, to, I'm easy to stump. My memories. Uh, I, I'm really. I'm much better like having information and mm-hmm. and remembering right. than pulling it. Mm-hmm. Um, remind me who were two and three. Who was the second one? Greg the Hammer Valentine. Right. Well, there's a reason I didn't remember. <laughs> and the one man gang. Right. Right. So Butch Reed Hammer. One man and DiBiase. I mean, listen, the truth is, it's interesting. Though he wins the tournament and it's this huge crowning moment, I, I've never said this before, but he kind of beat a who's who of jabronis. <laughs> <laughs> now, DiBiase is no jabroni, okay? Right. But. But in terms of the last match to win your first world title, while DiBiase is a big star and he's the man, mm-hmm. he's not exactly a huge mountain. Like, if there were Vegas odds on Savage DiBiase, Savage is the favorite. Oh, Sav- Savage is a heavy favorite. Automatically. Like, he, Savage is a favorite against DiBiase. I mean, against Butch Reed. He's a favorite against an aging Greg Valentine. He's he's a one man gang. He, okay, he could be a dog against one man gang, and then he's a favorite again for sure against DiBiase. And then honestly, and then and then even when Savage wins the title, you know it's an amazing moment. But he also has all the glory stolen by Hogan. Typical Hogan, right? Like uh, like yeah. <laughs> Typical Hogan, uh, the character and the man. Yeah, Hogan would do it later at uh. WrestleMania 9 with Yoko and Bret Hart. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, that's the worst example ever. But that, yeah, that's him. That's all. I like the... That you you might know. I, um, the story leading to WrestleMania 4 was the fact that 
you know, Hogan and Andre had a match at main event a few months prior. That um, a dusty finish. And then Andre was a champion, and then he sold the belt to DiBiase, yep. and then Jack Tunney was like, nah, yep. scrap all that. It's vacant, um, which is cool, but I I, I want to know in, in real life, was Hogan doing like a, a movie or a TV show, and that's the reason why he had to get the belt up, or was that just a, a natural wrestling storyline? You know, I feel like the, the, the title change, I think the title change there was just to go a different direction I, because Hogan didn't go away yet. Um, I feel like they have that Saturday night's main event. Well, hold on. It's, there's WrestleMania three in March, March 29. Mm-hmm. And and then the main event in which he gets the title isn't until what? The following fall, winter? Just about. It's, it's I think it's way down the line. Um, you know, and Hogan's around running with the title that whole time. And then... That setup with 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 Andre getting the title and giving it to DiBiase is only a few months before Mania Four, and Hogan's still in Mania Four, and then they roll right into Mega Powers. February fifth, nineteen eighty eight. So you talk about a month prior to WrestleMania Four, right? Like I felt like he was so, doing some suburban commando, some shit he was doing. I, I that's why he, he was going long like, enough. No, yeah, but it's only six weeks. Maybe, maybe he goes to do suburban commando. I don't remember that being the thing though. Not me either. I, I feel like they were always so. They never wanted to take the title. How were you going to get the title off Hogan though? Too. I don't know. Somehow, because they never wanted Hogan to lose. No. And so that way you get a dusty, a dusty finish against Andre. It's like the safest, it's the most conservative, safest way to get the title off him you could possibly come up with. <laughs> um, so Macho wins at WrestleMania 4. Then you develop the mega powers uh, that summer. And then this whole year build leading to WrestleMania five, where you have Macho and Hogan going at it in the main event. Um, and then you know Macho with the paranoia, you know with the Elizabeth storyline, and you got lust for you know I, I see lust in your eyes, and when you look, yeah, right. when you look at back at it, and you see all these storylines that have happened after, where does where does the Mega Powers storyline? rank for you and where does the macho hogan rivalry rank for you because obviously there's so many rivalries but when you pull the curtain back there is some real life tension between hogan and macho um back then so where do you rank the mega power storyline and where do you rank for you macho and hogan rivalry uh the storyline is the best i mean it's basically the best um, 
I'd have to think long and hard about things I like better from a story standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's pretty straightforward, it's just so damn good. Um, and their rivalry also among the absolute best. Um, it's not the top tier. Mm-hmm. It's not Rock Austin. It's not Austin McMahon. Mm-hmm. It's not Brett Sean. Um, it's in that next tier. Um, only because that story is amazing, but they don't have a ton of stories over time. You know, it it, it played out and that was it. Mm-hmm. The way that it manifested in WCW wasn't special or memorable particularly. Um, so it's up there, but it's not the highest, highest level of rivalry, I'd say. How often do you watch WrestleMania 5? Or oh, last time you Not as often as I watch 3. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's not... Actually, I, I should watch it again soon. It's not in my constant rotation, honestly. Uh-huh. Um, I, I should watch it more, but it's not at the way top, like... If I'm showing someone who may not be a wrestling fan and be like, yo, let me show you what wrestling looks like, I probably show them three. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a it's a great event. So you still to this day, you feel like Macho Steamboat is the greatest match in Macho Man's career, even though you had Hogan and all these guys. You you, you still think it's Steamboat from three? Um. Yeah, I. I think so. I think so. Like that to me, Savage Steamboat at three, it's perfect. It's a work of art. Mm-hmm. It's a work of art. It's, 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 that's the show. Like, cause you have two things you can show people from three. You have the work of art that is that match and, and the false finishes and just how beautifully done that match is. And then there's also sort of the, the, the crowd, the energy around Hogan Andre, which shows another side. Because the crowd isn't nearly as into Savage Steamboat as they are into the main event, obviously. Mm. Um, so it, so you get to show both, like the beauty of the wrestling of Savage Steamboat and then the incredible sort of pomp and circumstance of the crowd, etc. in Hogan Andre. How often do you think about the fact that WrestleMania 4 and 5 were <laughs> in the same building, back-to-back years, Trump Plaza of, of all places? Uh, you can't do that nowadays. You can't, hey, we're in Tampa this year, and hey, guess what? We're in Tampa next year. Just imagine, like, I, I don't know why it was back-to-back years in the same building. I, I assume there's a reason why, but do you ever think about why 4 and 5 was back-to-back at, at, at Trump Plaza? Well, I mean, I think it was just the deal they came up with at the time. Um, they got a good deal, I think, from Trump and from New Jersey or whatever. Mm-hmm. And obviously it was a different kind of event then. They were still... The weird part to me, the weirdest part about it being in Trump Plaza for four is that in, is that at three, they had done 93,000 outside. So that's the weirder part is that you go from one in... One is inside... Two is inside in three different arenas. Four, uh, I'm sorry, two is inside in three different arenas. Three is at the Silverdome in front of 93,000. 
And then four, they just drop down to whatever, 19,000 at, at Trump Plaza. That's the part that's sort of weird. And then six Toronto um, outside of Jace, you know, um, so it's just weird. Their path to eventually being a stadium show is a weird path. Mm-hmm. You know, you had you had the the Hoosier Dome. Um, you have uh, you have Vegas, which is weird. Then back to the Garden at ten. You know, 11's inside. So like all indoors, all the way up through. You know, the teen, the mid teens. Um. And it really doesn't become an every year stadium event until after 20 at the Garden. Do you know the last WrestleMania, not this year, the PC, I don't count that. The last WrestleMania to be held indoors in uh, an arena before the stadiums. Do you know that one? It wasn't the Garden? No. You're close. We're in that area, but not, not, not 20 in the Garden. You're close. Like oh, Boston? Uh, Boston's before. Yeah, 14. That, was, that was 14. Oh, oh, oh. Um, no, Detroit's Ford Field. Um, You're very close. You're very close. The one before that. Oh, LA. 22, Chicago. Rosemont. Oh, 21. I forgot. I, I got that all wrong. 20 is the garden. 21 is LA. Yeah. Which is inside. Mm-hmm. And then 22 Chicago is inside also. Yeah. I forgot about that completely. What building was it in? The Allstate? The, yeah, the Rosemont Horizon Allstate Arena. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so weird. It's it's bizarre to think about that. I literally in my mind was like, oh yeah, twenty was the last one. No, twenty one's LA big time, and then twenty two. So twenty three. Twenty three. They don't three. eventually settle. They don't eventually settle into an outdoor space, and it always is going to be a stadium until twenty three. That's wild. And you mentioned twenty one, which is another un, uh, WrestleMania that people might look at as. Top five, top seven, whatever. That, that's the that's the that's the one I forgot. WrestleMania twenty one in um in L A. That was tough. Twenty one's a fun one. Yeah, twenty one's fun. I like twenty one. Uh, real quick. So, um, after WrestleMania five, Macho goes into this Macho King character. He has Sherry by his side. He breaks up with Elizabeth. Yep. And so him and Hogan go in their separate ways. Hogan gets the Warrior at six. Macho Man, I think, is in a, a mixed tag match. With Dusty Rhodes and all that kind of stuff, w- were you ever a fan of the Macho King persona? Oh yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought Macho King was great. I mean, you know, Sherry's one of my all-time favorite talents. Savage, one of my all-time favorite talents. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like, it's like, it's not like he necessarily needed it, but it was still so dope. It still worked so well, mm-hmm. and. The King gimmick has been done so many times. Um, I don't know that any time is more memorable than Macho King. 
You know, it's it's like he didn't even need a gimmick, an extra gimmick, but him having it was fire. Like I just thought it worked perfectly, brought him back to being a full heel again because everyone had loved him so much previously. So how do you get him back? You align him with Sherry, you make him this king, and boom, now we're back to 87 level heat on Savage again. And then he gets the the warrior at seven in a retirement match. Um, Hogan's in the main event with Slaughter. Uh, I think Macho and Warrior was the best match on the card that night. And at that time, you're thinking like, oh, retirement match, all right, this guy's officially done. Not like nowadays, you come back in six months. Um, what'd you make of that match? How often do you see it? And where do you rank that as far as Macho Man catalog uh, of matches with him and the Warrior? Oh, I hate that. I hate that match. I never watch it. Really? Wow. Oh, yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Um, <laughs> Why? Um, I mean, he drops like seven elbows on Warrior, and then Warrior just kicks out, and Warrior steps on his chest to end the match. It's disgusting. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you know, Warrior, Warrior's a glorified jabroni, and Macho's one of the greatest ever. So it, it's a good match, and it shows how... Savage can make everybody look good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Warrior had his share of good matches. I mean, him and Hogan had a good match. I think you're talking about Warrior Mania matches. To me, the Warrior Hogan match is much more memorable, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, that match was important because no one, I mean, you know, the, the Hogan slaughter storyline was whatever. Um, you know, watching, watching, Sergeant Slaughter at that stage have a main event title match is whatever. Um, and then, of course, Savage takes the huge L, but after he takes it, you get the reuniting with Elizabeth, which is now a couple of years in the making at that time. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm a huge Savage fan, so that's not a match I watch. I like. I, I, it was the, you know, the, the purpose it served, too. Think about it. It's WrestleMania 7. So Warrior gets this giant rub by not only beating Savage, but stepping on his chest to beat him. Where was Warrior in the next year or two? Mm. It was the end. He got fired. At some that point. was basically... Yeah, that was, that was the end. Mm-hmm. So you have one of your greatest all-time talents completely job out to a guy... Then gone. So, uh, it's an important moment, but yeah, not one that as a huge Savage fan I care to relive very often. So I don't want to skip over Flair. I'm gonna get back to him in a second before I let you go. So now you mentioned Warrior and and Macho. So I would assume you would prefer Macho Warrior from SummerSlam '92 as opposed to WrestleMania Seven, correct? Of course. 92, it's an even match where they're both still in a great spot, you know. Um, and, and you know, it's just like, to me, I get it. Warrior's supposed to be unstoppable, but seven elbows off the top rope or whatever it was, six or seven, I think seven. That's, that's disrespect. Um, SummerSlam 92 might as well be WrestleMania, by the way. It's the it's another WrestleMania. True. 
True. And, and I, I would love for them to do that with another SummerSlam. It would be really cool to do a random SummerSlam and make it feel gigantic, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've said before that SummerSlam 92, for me, is the, the end of that golden era. Because after that, Hogan's gone. Macho isn't really fighting as much. Um, they're bringing in the, the Bretts, the Sean, the Takers, those guys. So I think, for me, 92 SummerSlam was more like... All right, we're, a pipe that's, is you know what? That's a good, that's a good call. I, I think you could see that's a good call. SummerSlam '92 is essentially the end of late '80s wrestling. It ends. It ends. That's a that's a very good call. I might steal that from you, Randy. That's a good one. <laughs> SummerSlam '92. You're right. And then before you know it, you blink and you're at WrestleMania '93, um, which is Repug. And now we're off into Yoko and and not to say there's not good stuff that happens, but it's not the golden era anymore. You are now entering the 90s, which has its good spots and its bad spots. But from 93 to 96 into 97, there's good stuff, but there's bad stuff. Whereas prior to that, there, there really was no such thing as bad stuff. It was just flames. And we will call that era the new generation era, which is, again, had some ups with the Razor, Diesel, Sean, Brad, Taker, but then you had the bad. And I think Luger was in there. Yoko was in there. But just a different time. People started retiring, going to different places, and you just didn't have that age. Well, you, got no you get to your, your doinks and your... You know, um, uh, what call it? Uh, um, like just all the all the characters that are silly. Mm-hmm. The goon, what was the hockey player? And and yeah. you know, you get into a, a different sort of Brooklyn brawler. It's just like there's a lot of Joe Bears, a lot of Joe Bears roaming around when you start getting into the the early to mid 90s. So there was still greatness around, mm-hmm. but listen, that was when I checked out and I don't think it's coincidental. And then also even with undertaker, which while it's great, I remember as a kid who at that point now is getting to be 13, 14 undertaker seems silly to me. Like I was good. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, you know, as a, as a 14 year old, that version of Undertaker, like I'm the Undertaker, it was like I, right, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch these rap videos. <laughs> so you checked out before the Attitude Era. Yes, and did not come back until when? I came back sporadically. So like, I'd watch some WrestleManias here or there. But I was not in, in a real way, until 2005. So you missed the entire Attitude Era? All of it. Do you regret that? Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's not like I feel like I missed it at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is fun, like going back and watching all the random Raws and Smackdowns is fun. I mean, obviously I've seen all the pay-per-views, um, but 
going back and just kind of watching weeks in a row is definitely cool. So, but I do have regrets because people in college were watching it. Like my roommates across the hall, my, my, uh, my, my, my friends across the hall, they were definitely watching it. And I was still talking about wrestling and like play fighting. I just wasn't focused. Like I was so in on hip hop at that point. Mm. I was just like, that was it. My passion was to make it in the hip hop world. So I didn't spend a lot of time. It was probably, you know, I was probably more checked out on sports too, although not as much because it was still very pervasive. But yeah, so I, I have regrets about it. I would have loved to have gone to shows. Dude, even like 2002, when it's, it's, it's transitioning from the Attitude Era to Ruthless Aggression, it's still really good stuff. And like, I'll be watching an old SmackDown or Raw and they'll be like, we're at the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. And I look at the date and I'm like, yo, I was just in D.C. chilling. Like, I could have been at all. Like, I just was like, damn, 01, 02, 03, all this stuff through college. It would have been a ball, man. But like, at the same time, let's be real. If I'm not so singularly focused on hip hop, my life is completely different and I don't end up where I end up. So. It's the same way I feel like, you know, I lived in New York my whole life and they had WrestleMania 10, 20, SummerSlam 91, 98, all these events. And I didn't go to my first WrestleMania until 29 in, in, in Jersey of all places. I'm like, where was I? How come I didn't want to go to Survivor Series 02? I just didn't, I don't know what it was. I didn't go to none of those shows uh, growing up. What was it also at the time that you're in it, like, you know, we don't have you don't have endless money where you can just be like, boom, I'm going to go to anything I feel like. So you make decisions. You're like, damn. It and then in retrospect, you're like, damn, I couldn't come off of 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> True. Like, come on, man. <laughs> um, two more before I let you go. So you said you got back. You got back in uh, 05. So what's the landscape? Cena. Hunter, Orton, Sean was still there, Batista, Taker, those guys, Edge. So what eventually reeled you back in? Like um like for me, I, I checked out too um oh two, oh three to like oh five. And what got me back in was the the Edge Cena storyline from the the cash in, the revolution, and, and and I was like, oh shit, like let me let me follow up. So that's what that's what reeled me back in. What reeled you back in? Um, for me, it was, I, I did some interviews. I was working at a talk radio station and I did some interviews with, um, Taz and Michael Cole. They came to the station and it literally started with a conversation. Then I met this dude named Joe Palkowski who was doing promo back then in the D.C. area. He would get me tickets to shows. Oh, you want to come to the show? Come to this. Oh, yo, check your mail. I'm going to send you some DVDs. Oh, here's a shirt. Oh, and I just, like, got drawn back in. And then I, I heard Cena, heard him using hip-hop. I was like, oh, that's tight. There's a hip-hop guy now? Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Then 05, went, and then I was... And then I sort of went down the path, and it got deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah, we're talking, what, and 15 years later? And the funny part is... 15 years. So the funny part is I feel like I was out for so long because I was out from like 92 to 05 or so. 
I've been back for longer. <laughs> True. Yeah. Like, I can't believe how long I've been back into it, you know. But the funny thing, I just thought about this when we were talking. If I hadn't left to pursue hip-hop as hard as I did and find the success I had, I wouldn't have ended up being able to be in the place I'm in now where I'm going to work there tomorrow. Because it was the hip-hop success that led me to being able to get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe I would have maybe I would have been into it more then, but I probably would have just remained a, a fanboy. So, Which, don't get me wrong, might have been worth it because the Attitude Era was crazy. But, <laughs> um, I'm, having, I'm having so much fun now that it balanced out. So looking back, the whole road as a fan, where you at now, do you ever sit back and say, man, I can't, I can't believe, like, I, you know, I'm a fan, but I'm working in this company that I was a fan of when I was growing up. Do you ever say, like, wow, I can't believe this shit, this shit is happening? Yeah, no, I, I really, I cry. I really, I really try to be present um, and, and enjoy it as much as I possibly can. You know, I had a period where I was not working there for a year after I had been there and I was dealing with a lot of personal stuff at the time. And so like, A, I was dealing with personal issues. Then I stopped working there and I was like, damn, man, I had so much going on and now it's all, it's kind of gone. That sucks. And I found, I found peace with it. I found peace with being like, hey, it was a fun run. It didn't work, you know, in the long run, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with shit that's way more important and challenging than that. And hey, just be grateful you were there. And it was a life lesson because the second I, the second I had acceptance that it was gone and gratitude for what I experienced, it came back better than ever. And, you know, now I'm used, now I'm doing even more now than I was then. So Mm. um, I'm, I'm very grateful. And I have a great time, man. Like I'm comfortable now too, which is nice. Like the first year I was just like, Oh, I don't want to mess up. I, uh, I and I wasn't, I'm not saying I wasn't good. I still did a good job, but it's nice now to like, I'm not going to sit here and tell the world I'm one of the boys. I'm not, but I do have a lot of friends there and coworkers that I've known for years now. So it is like, it is a much more comfortable way to be able to show up and work and, mm. and not be overthinking everything you're doing, but just performing the way that I perform on radio. Like just show up and do what I do. Last one, Peter, uh, can I let you leave without bringing up macho and flair WrestleMania eight time two of your all time favorites. So flair comes into company in 91 he gets Macho Man. The original plan was Flair and Hogan as the main event for WrestleMania 8, but I guess they looked at numbers from house shows and said, no, nah, we're going to go a different way. Hogan gets Sid, of all people, and Macho gets Ric Flair. And then you have uh, Liz in the middle of all that. So going back into that, I think that they, they recently did um, something on the network with those two, the, the timeline with Flair and, and Macho. Yeah, great, great, yeah. Which I haven't seen yet, but... When you talk about rivalries and, and there's, there's Hogan, there's Warrior, where does Flair and Macho stand for you? And going back to how that storyline was played out, how do you reflect on that timeline going into WrestleMania 8 between Macho and Flair? It, it was great. You know, I mean, it, it saved a WrestleMania, which no one, because no one was really that into Sid and Hogan at that point. Hogan's starting to lose the luster a bit. There's no doubt about that. And so 
You know, Flair and Savage are an interesting match. They're both two of the all-time greatest, stylistically different, but just two amazing characters. The Liz storyline, the sort of I had her first storyline, it's kind of disrespectful and probably wouldn't play that well now, but was super entertaining then. Um, the pictures, the photo shoot, like there was so much stuff. Um, excuse me. So I look back on it fondly, you know, and then you fast forward all those years later to WCW and you have flair with Elizabeth. And, um, it's, it's a, it's a good question. Cause it's an underrated, it's an underrated sort of history they have together. They don't, they're definitely not top of mind for either of them, but they had their moment. And I'm glad they did. So your all time favorite, if you had to rank it. I know there's Brett, there's Flair, there's Macho. If you have to force you to pick one, two, and three, who's one, who's two, and who's three? I mean, I think my personal... The little kid in me says Brett the, the, and, the, and the wrestling purist... But then there's a part of me that just thinks Savage is so underrated, even though he's popular and, and, and highly regarded, underrated for his greatness. And then there's also the like, let's just be real. Flair from an entertainment standpoint, the amount of people that he made better. You know, so it's really hard for me to pick one. I, I just, I could tell you one now, but I'm going to go back on it later. So, I mean, I, Flair's the GOAT. You know, I, I do think Flair is the GOAT. You know, um, Brett is the best wrestler I've ever seen, maybe. But Flair is the is the GOAT, like the entertainer, the, every, the wrestler, the entertainer, the character. And then Savage is probably just below them in that he's an amazing wrestler and an amazing character, but didn't reach the heights as a wrestler that Brett did in some eyes. And certainly didn't make it the character level that Flair did. So that's how probably how I view it. Well, Peter, man, I know you got to, you know, get to work. Got to watch some UFC, get to work on Hell in a Cell. I do want to thank you. I appreciate this. Um, great work with everything that you do. You can follow Peter uh, on IG and Twitter at Rosenberg Radio. Again, um, Hot 97, Cheap Heat, Juan Epstein, Michael K. Show, um, ESPN, WWE Network, the man just, doesn't stop. <laughs> so you really make me sound busy. Yo, Randy, thank you, bro. Thank you for everything. I always appreciate the support big time. I'm always down to come on. Just let me know. No problem, man. Thank you.